It's all on the racket here of Arena Sabalenka. Can she land one of her big killer serves? Puts it into play. Away from the backhand of Zheng. Half-court ball. Cross-court forehand is a clean winner this time. Sabasational from Arena. She gets it done. Fifth championship point. And she goes back-to-back back in Melbourne. Sinner backhand cross-court. Medvedev backhand cross-court. Up the line by Sinner. Cross-court forehand. Medvedev up the line by Sinner. And it finishes in style off his forehand. That has been the absolute devastating wing in this tournament at full stretch. Yannick Sinner. It's the most appropriate shot to make him a Grand Slam champion. Those are the moments that will echo for years to come, but there's so much more to the success of the Australian Open than its champions at the end. Craig Tiley is the driving force behind this event, and he's with me this morning. Craig, uh, thank you very much for joining me the Tuesday after your tournament. Good morning, Jared. No, it's great. It's great to be here, and uh, um, yeah, it's, we've just come off an unbelievable month, month of tennis, uh, and I'm here at the flight actually busy. Breaking things down, so it's always a bit sad when you've got to pull everything down. <laughs> Do you allow yourself 24 hours to bask? Well, we, yesterday was uh, we had the photo shoot uh, at the Botanical Gardens with Yannick, and that went most of the day, and and uh, then everyone got together and had a small bite to eat and went their own way. And so it was uh, we're back at it. We've got another 30 days to remove everything from the site, and then I think everyone have a, we look forward to having a break. Was it the greatest Australian Open yet? Oh, there's no question. I think they, it, whether it be the crowd, the, the interest, I got a note this morning, for example, one of the broadcasters, Eurosport, had their highest audience ever in the history of their in, in the history of their broadcast in Italy, for example. So, you know, metrics and, and, and records were broken all around, whether it be broadcast, whether it be attendance through the gate. And the most important metric for us is that the fans had a good time, the players had a good time, and, and we had a very, and, and the workforce had a good time. So, uh, every metric, every indication in that so far indicates that uh, we're um, we've reached those milestones as well. How big a boast? How big a landmark is it to get through a million through the gates? It's significant, and you know, we first of all we added an opening week, which is a qualifying week for the first time. There was a nominal charge to come in because of all the extra activities that we put on for the fans, and and if you added that in, and then of course the full two weeks, which are now fifteen days. Uh, you know, we hope to get to a million, but we surpassed 1.1 million. So, so that was a really significant milestone. And and at the end of the day, you know, getting the big numbers is great. It's great for the economic benefit for the state. It's great for the event. But most importantly, the satisfaction of those fans. Uh, that's the most important part of it for us. But but certainly um, to be the only grandstand ever to reach that milestone and one of the very few annual sporting events globally to do that. That was uh, was significant. So that the satisfaction of the fans. Now, to me, the, it it looked like the Australian Open uh, has has moved through a few different phases now, and it like the true major event aspect to it. What, what's the tension point? I'm just curious what the tension point is between the number of people through the gates and the number of seats there are on courts. It's it's a great question, and and you know one of the things we will look at is continue to increase the number of seats in shade that we have year on year. And we'll work closely with Melbourne Park to ensure that we have uh, an environment around each court where the fans can access watching the tenants, can get in and out of their seats easily, can go and enjoy the entertainment on the precinct. But we still got some areas and some space on the precinct to expand into, which we, we decided not to do this year. And, you know, close to Burrung Ma and then up to the Rich, Richmond Station. 
It's a great site. There's a precinct right next to the city. There's, there's plenty of space. What we did this year, which has been different than previous years, with the use of technology, we were able to introduce some initiatives around the site. When there was a when there was too many people in the area, we, we spread them out by offering different activities uh, elsewhere. So, so I think we'll continue to do that. The feedback we've got so far from fans is that they, it didn't feel crowded uh, and that they felt like they really had a good a good time. But we, that's really important to us. We don't we, we we're not uh, in the business of just putting too many people in the precinct. We want people to come and have a great time, be able to sit and watch the tennis anywhere, sit in the shade, be comfortable, get a nice bite to eat, get something to drink, and go away feeling that that was an experience that they was really worthwhile and they want to come back. How significant is the portion of fans that are happy not to sit on a court, that are happy to go and enjoy the hospitality and, and sit on the, the grass sections and watch screens and the like? Well, 10 years ago, we were just a tennis event, and we yep. made a decision to festivalise, globalise it, and and to and to really overhaul our whole approach to the experience, and so we went into to a pillar of of focusing on food experiences, then adding music 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 experiences. Recently, it's been around new technology and 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 younger kids being able to come out and do certain things when it comes to tech games, etc. And and so um, so by doing that, we have a bigger offering than just the tennis. And then on the ground. Whether you can go and sit in a restaurant and get some good food, or go out to one of the bars and watch it on the big screen, that's become a thing to do in Melbourne now, and and especially at the tennis. And I and I, you know, we had, for example, at the finals, we had over thirty thousand fans out and around the grounds, not being able to get into the stadium because they didn't have a ticket to the stadium, but having just as much fun out on the grounds and watching the big screen and enjoying the bars. So, previously, it used to just come to the stadium event. But now uh, we're finding, you know, fans are wanting to do much more than that, and that's the offerings that we're providing. Is there a fine line? Is there a risk that the festival, that the party, swallows up the tennis? Oh, it's a good question. I, I we, we'll make sure that never is the case because the storylines that you have, and and listening, you know, it is really great to listen to the Sabalink and Sinner wins, uh, which you had on the on the lead of this of this interview with they. It's a sense of chills on my spine again because hearing it like that with the crowd in the stadium and the fun that they're having, we've got some great storylines in tennis. We have 60 tennis matches a day, so there's always plenty of content, and it goes from 11 in the morning till midnight. So you don't, you, you're always going to have something to watch. And we'll make sure that is always the case, uh, and that's where we're unique as a sport. It's not just one event on one field or or one area. It, it's many on many on many tennis courts. So. Yeah, you know, we, we'll we'll take full advantage of that and make sure our fans get to be able to watch the tennis as well. This is years in the making, Craig, and then you had those two years which were interrupted by COVID. Have you now sort of fully moved out of that and been able to latch on to the ambition that, that you hatched some time ago? Well, absolutely. You know, it was, it was back in it was 2014, we really started on this journey and then we had big plans 2017, 18, and then, of course, uh, 2019, and 2020 bushfires first, and immediately after that, COVID for 21 and 22. That was why it was so important to keep the event going. The momentum of the event is critical, uh, both from a global impact point of view and, and just from an importance from the players as well. We didn't want them to get used to going anywhere else. So it was the right decision. The Victorian government absolutely made the right call to do that and to support us in doing that. And, and we, we're bearing the fruits of that today and, and now starting to take full advantage of what we had planned back prior to COVID. We're post-COVID now. This was our first normal year post-COVID, and and uh, you know, and it was definitely our most successful and most historic ever. And now, when we go into 2025, we'll continue to accelerate and upgrade the offerings for our fans and expand it. 
but make sure that the absolute focus is on the personalization of the experience. And you'll see us start to shift even more through the use of tech and other and other initiatives that will be a personalized experience for each of our fans coming on site or watching at home. Was there ever a risk in those years, Craig, that, or even a plan that, that the tournament would go elsewhere for one year and, and the implications of that and what you've just described of, of getting used to going somewhere else? And absolutely, there was a risk on the tournament. And the risk not so much came in it moving, but the risk came in something else appearing at the same time. There's a lot of money out there. There's a lot of investment from different nations that could decide January is a great month to start the year and let's have a big tennis tournament in January and offer a ridiculous amount of compensation and prize money. That, is, that risk was definitely uh, at a high point during COVID um, and still remains a risk. And we should always not, not keep our eye on the ball constantly because while we're a Grand Slam, we have these two weeks at the end of January. Uh, the rest of the world's eyes are on Australia. We get all the top players, over 800 of them coming to Australia. We invest in their experience. And we have to keep doing that and keep growing the precinct, keep growing the offering, um, and ensure we stay close to the playing group because nothing will stop someone from deciding that they want to put an event at the same time. So that's the risk. Although at this point, we think the strength of now the Australian Open in Melbourne and the leading events we have around Australia put us in a position where, from the playing group's perspective, this is the place they want to be. But we have to keep investing. We cannot rest on our laurels. We have to keep investing and keep coming up with ideas to make sure we hold that position. At a granular level, Craig, are, are too many of the climactic moments of the Australian Open staged after midnight? <laughs> um, well, there's so many climactic moments that we've had. You know, there wasn't much conversation around the the matches that finished about. I started at seven at night and finished at ten. So, so that happens as well. That I look at some of the matches that are too short, not too long, because the too short matches are not that as much fun as the longer ones. This year, we introduced, we, by starting on Sunday, uh, it took the edge off late finishes. We halved the number of finishes pre- to previous years that were after 1 a.m., which was really good. And we increased the recovery time between matches for players by two hours. So another good initiative. So the, the extra day definitely had a positive impact. However, unfortunately, you cannot predict the length of the match. The one day when Daniel Medvedev finished so early in the morning was still able to get the finals was a day when Coco Golf, for example, played for over three hours. She's never played in her life a match that long. So you can never predict it. But I have been calling for some changes in the game so that we can consistently find ways to shorten it. Um, and uh, and things like having no less and, and a shorter, shorter warm-up time and, and more discipline around the shot clock, uh, quicker turnaround time between matches, etc. We'll continue to review that. And we'll continue to globally... Act, uh, um, advocate with the playing group and with the administrators to make sure we find ways to do as best as we can to shorten it, although we have had some epics after 12. Yes, yes, we have. It's, and that, to your paying patrons, that does create a level of difficulty, doesn't it, with city it car parks that close and the like. Is So even if you are happy to, there are circumstances all that tie in as to whether it's possible to stay or not. And and that's a, that's a great point. And I think what we want to do is work closely with the city and the state. We want our fans to easily be able to get on a train, to get on a tram, to get, catch a cab, um, and also to get out their car parks. And I think that 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 is a, a pain point. We'll always continue to to look at. It. At the end of the day, we are here in Melbourne. We are hosting uh, the, one of the world, the world's largest annual sporting events. 
definitely the largest in Australia and definitely the largest in the Southern Hemisphere. And so we need to make sure we just take care of and take care of our patrons and fans. And we were excited this year to welcome more people from around the world than we ever had before and coming from countries that had an exponential increase in visitation. And this is great for our country. And we need to welcome it and put, the, put enough flights on so we can bring people in and, uh, and provide them with an opportunity that they feel like they never, the, 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 the city never, never shuts, never closes. Did, did the concept of the party court work, Craig, for patron and player, or was it a, a reach with the players? It, it, was, it was definitely a reach with everyone because it's a new initiative. But what we do at the beginning of these new initiatives, we give it a go and we, have, we, we take some risk and we have a good go. If it doesn't work, we'll put our hand up and say, we, sorry, we tried that. It wasn't that good. We'll try something else. And, but in this case, it worked really, really well. In fact, there were players that by, by after the first four or five days were asking us to go and play on that court because they just loved the atmosphere. We're getting great feedback from the fans. That party court was a grounds pass hole that you could go and you could sit at a bar and watch tennis uh, or sit in the stands on the opposite side. And uh, it took some getting used to by the players, but after then, you know, I occasionally hear from a coach and send me a text that, can you please turn the music down? And we would do that. <laughs> but, uh, but it's nice that someone's asking you to turn the music down. It means everyone's having a good time. But the feedback we got from the players the second week is that they liked it and they thought it was a great initiative for tennis. And again, they complimented the Australian Open for leading the way globally on putting our head up and saying, we'll give it a go and we'll try and change the sport for for the benefit of the fans' experience. Is there an element that in the modern era, the players can't be too precious around that old year, the old idea of quiet, please? I... Uh, yeah, I, I, I love the comment on quiet, please, because uh, it's, it's synonymous with tennis, but it's not synonymous with fan enjoyment. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we did trial something else this year that was more freer movement in and out of the stadium. We got great feedback from the fans. The players didn't like it as much at the beginning of the event, but by the time we got to the end of the event, no one even noticed it. And it's like everything was changed is that you've just got to go on the journey of change and you've got to accept the fact that at the beginning of it, there's going to be some difficulty, but once it gets to be accepted, it becomes a new norm. I think there's going to be events in tennis around the world that are going to look now to the Australian Open and say, you've set the standard for us, and they will give it a go as well. And we're really having some comments from the events in the US that are going to trial the same thing, and, and at least they can reference that it worked at the Australian Open. And you don't always want to trial it at the biggest event uh, in the world in the Grand Slam, but we thought one way to accelerate some of that change was for us just to do it. In the hierarchy of major events, particularly in the sporting capital of Melbourne, uh, would you lay claim to being number one, Craig? Um, I'm very conflicted in this answer, but um, I, I will say if you look at the number of people that come through the gates, if you look at the economic impact, uh, if you look at the global significance, the Melbourne sign, for example, on the court equated this year to over $3 billion of media value. And you can't buy that much media value in that period anyway. So, so we, the Super Bowl is coming up in a week's time. You know, so globally, the biggest event that's happened has been the Australian Open. The next one will be the Super Bowl in the United States. So it's our view, if you just look at all the metrics, all the numbers, that there is an event in Australia, it's size. However, we're very fortunate because in Melbourne particularly, We've got great pillars. We've got the Grand Prix coming up. We've got, uh, we've got the, the Spring Racing Carnival. We have, you have the AFL Grand Final. You have, you have um, cricket. And I think the state government's done a magnificent job of ensuring that those pillars remain very strong and continue to grow. And in Australia, of course, we've got the Olympics coming up. So it is the sporting, uh, the sporting country of the world. And 
and we've got sporting capitals of the world, so we should all feel very proud of it, and we're glad we play our part, and you know, and and that we do feel we lead the pack in many ways. The other element about it, Craig, is is tennis goes through its eras. So I can remember yeah. when Andre Agassi refused to come in those early days, it was a huge blow to the tournament here. It feels to me that you have now built an event and we're coming out of the age of the big three in the men and the women's is incredibly volatile um, where you get the best players, but it actually doesn't terribly matter who they are at any given time. The prestige of the event and what you're doing around it um, almost insulates against um, whatever era tennis is in and whoever's on the court? Um, Jared, I think that that's extremely insightful and that's 100% of where we're up to today. We And I always remind everyone, we shouldn't forget, it wasn't long ago when Jimmy Connors and Bjorn Borg and Andre Agassi, Pete Sampras, Chris Evert, Martina, a whole long, it never came down to Australia. It wasn't significant enough. Um, it's now been built, the Australian Open, to a point where if you miss it, you're in trouble. You absolutely cannot miss it as a player. So we've, over the last 10 years, had 100% attendance from all the top players. In fact, we have the strongest draw each year because you are starting the year after your period off. And then on top of that, the event has grown, the significance of the event has grown as such. It used to only be successful if the Australian players were doing well or if the number one player in the world was playing. But today... Uh, it does not matter about that because the contest and the strength of the contest from the beginning is so significant that uh, it's now the event drives the outcomes more than the players do. And and uh, and to get to that point with any event, it does take a journey, does take investment. And I think the Australian Open is at that point. And particularly now with the younger generation coming through, the volatility on the women's side creates some very interesting stories. And then, of course, on the men's side, we've got a number of young players to be able to make through make a breakthrough, including some of the young Australian players. We're pretty excited about some of the pipeline of the young talent that's coming through from Australia. And Craig, just finally, is is tennis and cricket are the two sports who have to navigate their way through the modern conundrum that is Australia Day. Are you, so it, it used to be a huge day of celebration. That's where the Hall of Fame bust was unveiled. The, the matches were paused for the fireworks display and the like. Yeah. Um, how have you found your place and what to do with the, the National Day, which which causes uh, conflicts rather than just the celebration of old? Well, we, we had recognition at the Australian Open this year, contrary to what was reported, but we had recognition of, of Australia Day. We um, On the day itself, through the national anthem and, and recognition of it prior to the matches all in that day. Um, every single day, there's something that we celebrate. Historically, our International Hall of Fame Day fell on Australia Day. Uh, it doesn't anymore. Uh, Australia Day in the calendar on the week moves for us, but so does the International Hall of Fame Day, for example. We have First Nations Day. We have Pride Day. We have All Abilities Day. So the Australian Open in the last five years has grown uh, to recognize all the activities we have particularly focused on on that day. And, and we do know that it's a challenge for whether it be sporting events for others on on, on and how you recognise a number of different op- opportunities and and we'll continue to play our part and and, uh, and ensure that we're providing for for the fans and for those that are coming to the tennis you know the appropriate recognition and and it's not just on Australia Day or Australia Day it's all other activities that we have and we're proud of the fact now in the course of those 15 days which is now actually turned into 21 days because we with the opening week is uh, we make we have an offering every day for everyone. 
Craig, appreciate your time today. Thanks for taking us through all that took place over the, the past, uh, well, as you said, three weeks. Uh, it was a, a mighty triumph. Well done. Thank you, Joan. And, uh, and as always, we appreciate the support and the insights that you have for this great sport and the event. And we're proud of what we put on and we look forward to even a bigger 2025. Craig Tiley is the Chief Executive of Tennis Australia and the Tournament Director of the Australian Open. You're the paying public and this is our sporting capital, the, the place of the Australian Open in the hierarchy, what a day at the tennis looks like and how it's evolved from just buying a ticket and going to sit on a court for a little while. Uh, share your thoughts. one three hundred seven three six seven three six.